The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning to all of you, my listeners in the United States and around the world. This is Good Morning New York, and I'm Vince Rocco. We are coming to you live, as always, from New York City today, February 9th, 2016. It's very cold out there today in New York City. Finally, we're getting some winter weather. However, two days ago, it was in the 50s, so I can't really even keep up with what's going on weather-wise. We have a guest today, a special guest who is on his way stuck in traffic. His name is Nick Kalaitis, and uh, later I will have my panel of agents to discuss hot topics. Uh, Nick is the publisher of Metropolitan Magazine, so we'll get to um, some news items first, and then we will talk to him. Uh, so Robert A.M. Stern's tower at 220 Central Park South has been shrouded in mystery since it was announced a few years ago, but one big question, the building's final design may finally be answered. Last week, the developer's team posted uh, what appeared to be final renderings of the 950-foot building taken from a Revney booklet, and now a photo on broker Dolly Lenz's Instagram seems to confirm that these renderings are, in fact, the real deal. The new renderings show some differences from the old, unofficial images that had been circulating for the past few years. Lenz's post also touts the building as New York City's most expensive condominium ever, which, considering it's already sold $1.1 billion worth of uh, condos, is probably not so far from the truth. Calls to the representatives, however, for confirmation have not been returned. $1.1 billion sold already. This is news to me. Most townhouses on the market are not 30 feet wide, nor are they asking $42 million. That's what makes the townhouse at 128 East 73rd Street stick out in the pack of exceptional and exceptionally pricey Manhattan houses for sale. This Upper East Side mansion was built by A. Wallace McRae in 1928 and in this millennium received a makeover by Peter Marino, the leather daddy of luxury that is pleasantly subdued. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> that's that's going to be your new name. Vince. Leather Daddy. Leather Daddy. <laughs> the townhouse is 9,500 square feet and is currently on the market for $42 million. Again, these prices out of control. Sales launched at the Shepherd, a former rental turned condo building in the West Village in September, minus the building's three duplex penthouses. But now those units have hit the market and Curbed has the exclusive on pricing. The smallest of the three, Penthouse A, will list for $18.85 million. The second largest, Penthouse B, is asking $24.5 million. And the largest, Penthouse C, is asking $29.5 million. Even though they're all duplexes, these apartments have different floor plans and each one also has an abundance of outdoor space. Jackson Heights, Queens is one of those go-to places in the city to find lovely, fantastic apartments for under $1 million. A two-bedroom co-op on 77th Street doesn't disappoint either. 
This unit priced at $749,000. The apartment has some great perks like nine-foot-high ceilings, a marble wood-burning fireplace, original hardwood floors, and crown moldings. The elevator in this five-story building opens right into the apartment. The master bedroom has a walk-in closet. And this bedroom, as well as the kitchen, overlook a glorious 50,000-square-foot garden outside known as Hawthorne Court. Mm-hmm. The apartment also has space for formal dining room, and the open kitchen floor <clears throat> plan adjacent to it comes with Caesar Stone Quartz counters and cherry wood cabinets. In comparison, similar-sized apartments in pre-war buildings in Manhattan will usually go for over $1 million. Jackson Heights is the most diverse neighborhood in all of New York City. It absolutely yeah. is. Did you and see I that was, article? I yeah. wanted to ask you no, about... No, I just grew up in Queens, no. so that's, yeah. No, I wanted to ask you about that a little later because, you know, I, there, there's something going on in Jackson Heights that's yeah. quite interesting, and you're right, it is very diverse and has been for a long time. Yeah, melting pot. And melting you can pot. walk to Shea Stadium. Uh, real, no. <laughs> sort of. Sort of. <laughs> is that an upside or, that's, or a downside? I think it's an upside. That's, that's a long walk, I think. <laughs> I'm thinking spring. All right. Home prices in the Tony Hamptons reach an all-time high in the fourth quarter of 2015 as buyers in the eastern Long Island resort towns made a record number of deals for at least $5 million. The average price for all Hamptons purchases that closed in three months through December was $2.38 million, and that's up 16% from a year earlier, and the highest in records uh, dating to 2005, and this all according to Doug, uh, brokerage Douglas Elliman and appraiser Miller Samuel. Of the 613 total sales, 62 were for properties priced at $5 million or more, uh, the most in a single quarter by number and market share. Jonathan Miller said, quote, the Hamptons doesn't seem to be following the stereotypical housing market right now where you have weakness at the top because of rising inventory. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The century-old Harlem Brownstone that served as the New York home of writer, poet, and um, civil rights activist Maya Angelou for almost a decade and where she entertained scores of friends like Oprah Winfrey and Cicely Tyson with dance parties and her signature smothered chicken just entered the market. The asking price for the four-story, 20-foot-wide house at 58 West 120th Street in Mount Morris Park is asking $5,095,000. Interesting, I was just showing townhouses in Harlem and um, Hamilton Heights over the weekend, and a lot of people think that that's overpriced. This, according to brokers, we'll see how that goes. You think Maya's name was worth a million? I don't know. It's a great neighborhood. Yeah. It's a great block, and the house I imagine is is yeah. meticulously restored because I've seen photos. But yeah. I don't know if celebrity name, and we've talked about we've this talked before. About that, yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. if celebrity name is going to bump it up a million dollars because you're right on on the money, Rachel. The the thinking is it's about four million to four point three or four million accurately priced. But you get that one Let's buyer see. who's a writer or a poet and they're willing to pay that million dollars to, to live yeah. there, then that's what they're hoping I th- for. I think they're also trying to I capitalize agree. on the neighborhood because Mount Morris Park is so, I can't even say up and coming anymore. It's there. It's there. And, and it's, it's really so beautiful. So I think mm-hmm. they're capitalizing on that as well. So I, I think they are. Yeah. They are. Anyway, and finally, one person was killed and three others injured very sadly when a 565-foot crane collapsed during last Friday morning's rush hour in snowy lower Manhattan. The lone fatality was a man sitting in a parked car. Police identified him as David Wicks, 38 years old, and a Manhattan resident. The three injuries, two considered serious but not life-threatening, occurred when pedestrians were hurt by falling debris. This, according to Mayor de Blasio, the crane uh, was being lowered into a secure position with construction workers keeping pedestrians and traffic away from the busy street near New York Law School when it came tumbling to the ground. 
Building inspectors had been at the site of the collapse a day earlier after granting approval for the crane operator to add an extension, bringing that crane to 565 feet. The work was found to be in full compliance. You can see how powerful the damage was, but you can also see that it was something of a miracle, said Mayor de Blasio, because there could have been a lot more casualties. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, This was actually one of those real... They were doing everything right, and it really was an accident. And actually, my son knows the wife of the man who was killed. They went to school together. wow. And he had said that the man was just coming out of the subway, Mr. Wicks, was just coming out of the subway. It was one of those real accident, accident things. Nobody was doing anything wrong. You know, I, wind, I have I to think, tell you right? something. Yeah. It's the yeah. wind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just, you know, it, it's it's yeah. it's even scary to think. But, you know, you wake up in the morning sometimes and you just don't know what's going to happen in these freak accidents, wind, wind-related wind here. And that was a very, you know, kind of nasty, snowy day that Friday anyway. But And cranes, you know, historically, unfortunately, also tend to fall down here. So it becomes a little crazy. I just read, actually, construction injuries and deaths have increased. It's at an all-time high because construction has doubled in such a short amount of time. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, you got to be careful with, with all of these things. And i got to tell you, when I walk around cranes, I, I, I look up and I'm, I, I'm, I'm very mindful of what may happen because at the end mm-hmm. of the day, you never know. Right. Anyway, let's get started. Um, so, new year, new apartment, that may be wishful thinking, but a few inexpensive home improvements such as these can significantly transform and, or freshen up a tired old space. And we've talked about this in the past where you feel like moving, you want to move, you can't afford to move, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, what do you do in your own home sometimes to make you know it more pleasant, to make, make a change? I mean, I'm always going through <laughs> what I call minor renovations or restorations, even if it's changing a light switch or even if it's, you know, moving the curtain at a different angle, I look and say, ah, it just feels new. It looks new. And when you don't feel like that, that's when you know it's time for a change and you want to move. Right. right. So, 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 that's how you know. So right now I'm still able to kind of get away with doing whatever. So, you know, it says change your light fixtures, add a dimmer and change the mood of the room with a slide of a button. I'm big on dimmer switches because I don't like big bright lights, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you walk in and you have mood lighting. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And, you know, people, you know, family members of mine come in and put the lights on super high yeah. and it's got to be like a stadium and I and I think well what the hell is that about window you know, treatments what? are so they make such a huge difference yeah. mm-hmm. you know I'm window treatments I, I always say that window treatments are like the eyebrows it's something you don't pay as much attention to but when it's out of sync Without, you, you got to tweeze it. it from time to time and you have to it's true and, and you <laughs> I've it really never said that in my life touch, by the way or like a scarf <laughs> or a, or a tie I and now she's seeing it on the internet touch. Yeah. you're absolutely right I said tweeze yeah well it is and they, they say plastic light switch um, yeah. ditch the plastic light switch covers and electric plate covers especially yeah. if they're cracked discolored mismatched ill-fitting or just plain dirty a more stylish version in say nickel or bronze or glass can make the room look a little more elegant feel a little better in your own mind you know whatever and I know this is such a picky thing to say oh never but what about just wiping down your floorboards just make sure that they're nice and clean the floorboards um, or the molding on the bottom and the molding on the, the bottom the molding on the bottom it's yeah like the, absolutely the, it's unbelievable if you just clean that up change the covers especially the ones that don't show the screws mm-hmm. they just like look so nice flat lined against the wall just those little details make yeah. such a difference you know about four years yeah. ago maybe no, it was about four years ago I had decided to 
change the the handles on my kitchen cabinet. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, they were fairly brand new when I moved in. I've done that too. Mm-hmm. So I changed it, and I have to tell you, from almost the the minute I changed the knobs on the kitchen cabinets, I felt like I went through a major renovation in yeah. the kitchen. It mm-hmm. felt better. It looked better. I was Absolutely. like, okay, you know, I can get over the fact that I would rather have this cabinet than that cabinet. And still to this day, four years and later, also it works. If somebody's a renter um, and not an owner, uh, if your landlord is trying to raise your rent, um, at the very least get some sort of an upgrade because it's a capital uh, improvement for, for the landlord. It's a write-off for them and you get to live in a I did that. I got that a new fridge and stove. Yep. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yep. I've gotten a new floor. Mm-hmm. I've gotten the bathroom tiles changed out. I mean, I've gotten a lot of That's why they don't things. want brokers in their yes. buildings. <laughs> brokers and attorneys. Yes. You know what? You know the loopholes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we know the loopholes. So exactly. on that note, we're going to take a break. We will be back. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right. Speaking of writing in, calling in, texting in, tweeting, uh, I did get an email first thing, uh, actually late last night, uh, from a broker listener. um, And I wanted to just kind of, you know, Talk about this a little bit. We have not been able to yet book a uh, managing agent person on the show, which we are working on getting Ooh. coming up soon. But this broker said, you know, she's got a problem. She actually had a question. Whether you're working on the seller side or the buy side, you know, she's asking me my opinion. What do I think of property management um, contacts in general being so rude? She goes on to say, you know, they're rude to the point of being unprofessional. On the one hand, you know, you've got to kind of be nice because you don't want to screw up the deal. But on the other hand, it's sometimes very deflating to you as a person when you're trying to get a deal done. And we've all been there. You know, we've all Mm -hmm. complained about attorneys and and managing agents. But, you know, her question is, you know, does she say something like, excuse me, you're being so rude. I wish you wouldn't. I want to, you know, I want to do an easy (laughs) deal. Or do you just kind of forget about it? It's the same thing when you're dealing with rude brokers. Every industry has rude people. And so the rude people are going to ruin it for everybody. They're going to ruin it for the bunch. I don't want to hear that. You know, managing agents are ruder than any other industry. It's 
not true. There's plenty of great ones. Mm -hmm. You have to kill them with kindness. If they are lashing out at you, you kill them with kindness. You offer to make their lives easier. You talk to them in a sweet way. They get bombarded with nasty calls all day long from shareholders and brokers Mm -hmm. and a million other people. They are overworked, underpaid. You have to understand that. And once you understand that, they will respond accordingly. Mm -hmm. Barul just said something that makes sense too. And we oftentimes as brokers forget that, but they're not only dealing with us on a daily basis, they're dealing with residents mm-hmm. and tenants of the mm-hmm. building. And we all which know that- Which is priority. Which is priority right, yeah. and, and exactly priority. But also, you know, they can be sometimes unruly themselves and they, they want, 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 want because mm-hmm. they're shareholders mm-hmm. or they're whatever. So I I absolutely understand sometimes the, the, the rudeness, if lack of a better word. Uh, and I agree with you, uh, Rachel, that you just kind of kill it with kindness and, and move on. Go ahead, Deb. Yeah. I also wanted to say that the last job I had before I went into selling real estate was a paralegal for a large real estate law firm. And we represented many managing agents and certain companies that we have all heard of as brokers. Mm-hmm. So I interacted a lot with the managing agents, and they downloaded on me constantly to tell me their complaints. And honestly, there are so many brokers that the moment they get a listing or the moment a board package comes in, the brokers and agents do not let up on them. And they and the really? managing agents have told me that, let me tell you what happens to those brokers. Their files go to the bottom of my pile, yeah. <laughs> which is true. Yeah. So what I have always done, and to be very honest, in the almost 20 years that I've been selling real estate, I think only two or three times have I had a problem with a managing agent, and it was them. When I personally get a new listing or if I'm on the buy side and the board package goes in, I first call to find out if the managing agent prefers email or phone. Most of the time it's email, and then Mm -hmm. I send an email and I say, I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Deborah Hoffman. I'm from Town Residential. This is the new property I am representing. I know you are so overworked, and the last thing I want to do is ever bother you. I have a few questions now, and hopefully you will not hear from me until right before the closing. Here are my questions, and lastly, what is the best way to contact you? May I have a copy of whatever, whatever? And I have to tell you, 90% of the time they get back to me in 12 hours. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. It's, it's remembering that, as Rachel said, yes. they're overworked. They have the shareholders and usually board members screaming at them constantly and being incredibly rude and it's a matter of putting yourself on a higher level you because that's what? your business in the speaking of killing of killing with kindness it's it's about thoughtfulness really and i know rachel's one of the most thoughtful people in general like Aww. when it comes to dealing mm. with people wow you really can you are. say that louder you, you are, are. You say are. that again <laughs> say it again you and are so, so I think I'm, I'm just I'm just like reiterating what she meant to say because <laughs> the fact of the matter is is that I mean here's a great story I actually had a super high end rental client and uh, this person it was just it was just a crazy situation the apartment she was living in that she was a oh no the apartment she was applying to um, was owned by a, a famous celebrity. And so she was renting an apartment from a celebrity. Um, so we were working with the celebrity's personal assistant and assistant's assistant. And God know, yeah, God knows what was going on. But as a result of all the shuffle, it was getting to become one of the most difficult transactions I've ever done. And my, and who, my, um, my renter, who was also a very high net worth individual, really needed this apartment by a certain date. I was in the position where I had to take care of all parties without offending anybody. And my ally in the situation turned out to be the managing agent. Ooh. Because I, sa- I called, I said, listen, mm-hmm. 
here's the three ring circus. Let me just explain to you what's going on. Here's what I think the solutions may be. Could you please help me out? And they, she said, you know what? Sounds like you've been going through a lot. Let me see what I can do. And I immediately sent her flowers. And for her, the fact that I just sent her flowers over the moon to this day with this company, if I had to work with this management, if I give her a call, she will get my back and do anything because I sent her flowers once. You it's know, amazing. It, it's like I they sent say a plant once to a, ma- a male managing agent. Same yes. thing. And it's a major company we've all heard of. And he will move heaven and earth for me now. Yes. yes. Well, I love male managing agents. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really encounter too many of them, but, that, but I have. I wonder why, Rachel. But my, but my comment on that is, you know, just like in show business, you have to learn to play to your audience. So, you know, on the heels of what all of you just yes. said, you just learn who they are, understand what they're going through, be patient, kill them with kindness, and, and make it work. Listen, it's the same with attorneys. It's the same with, you know, bankers sometimes that we have to encounter as we inherit and in a brokers. deal. And mm-hmm. brokers. And absolutely yeah. brokers. Because, yeah. well, let's start with that because brokers probably on top mm-hmm. of everything else, you know, mm-hmm. are, are main contacts. And there are some beauties out there, as you could well imagine. <laughs> all right. So on the heels of all that, you know, this business can sometimes get us crazy, rile us up. You know, the old expression, type A people. I am, you know, the the poster child for type A. <laughs> and Rachel and I were talking about this just before the show started with all the things that I have going on and all the busyness and, and whatever. How do I get through a day? So, you know, living in New York, competing in New York, you know, being very successful as we all are in real estate, is, is a feat in itself. But so when it's all said and done and we all go home at night and do whatever, how do we come down from the day? How do we decompress? Because I will tell you, people out there ask me this on a regular basis when they see me in my, you know, mode during the day doing whatever. And they want to know, how do you relax? Or actually, do you relax? I want to know what Deborah does. What Deborah does. I will tell you. I will tell you what Deborah does. I was going to say that too. I'm curious. I'm the mysterious one. Yes, she is. No, because you probably have a great answer. Debbie does yoga. Debbie does yoga. Debbie doesn't do yoga. Debbie does yoga. Debbie does spinning first thing in the morning, actually, which gets me really riled up. But I have a big crash at the end of the day, especially if I'm doing showings like I am today between 5 and 7 p.m. So, as most of you know, I have a commute. I drive. Going home, it's only a half hour to 40 minutes. But I put on my favorite quiet music. Oh, I was going to say so Debbie's rocking you, it out. No, I'm really not going, home, not going home because we have to take ourselves down. Yes. yes. And as I'm, as I'm driving, as I'm listening to my favorite quiet yeah. music, I'm mm-hmm. thinking, do I want to drink first when I get home or do I want to <laughs> meditate for a few minutes? I like it. So it usually depends on the day and I'm deciding that. And... Honestly, I work when I get home because after dinner, I, I, I do a lot of mailing. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. we and all do. And what I start doing is I, I sit down and I start addressing and stamping mailings. I usually hire someone, but for small ones, I like to do it myself because it's thinking time. But because ah. I already came down yeah. emotionally from the day with the music and possibly a drink or a really good dinner, whatever it is, it is. It keeps my mind not revving like all of our minds do throughout the day, yeah. but it opens it up to think while I take a half hour to stamp and, and get yeah, this mailing going. That, that and that's when I get thing, some yeah. of my best ideas for how to work with an obnoxious managing agent <laughs> or, or another broker. Right, because it's a mindless something. activity. Exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah. what, it's nothing special, but it's, it's different because moment. I do have this half hour to 40-minute driving commute. Yes. 
That's so. nice. <laughs> oh, I want I, I I wanted to say because I I had that uh, when I was commuting into the city before um, I moved into the city full time, and I have to tell you, um, I loved my downtime on the train. I would just mm-hmm. veg, I would chill, and you know, this is after a hectic, crazy cuckoo day, even back to the the corporate days. But that was my downtime for an hour to just chill out and relax and maybe read something, maybe take a little bit of a nap. But when I got off the train, I was already decompressed and I was able to do whatever you know the evening you know Isn't required. It crazy I wanna- though that yeah. we live in a world where we need our downtime. Our di- downtime is almost always kind of forced. Like I mm. love flights now. I actually love flights because I'm forced. To, to show be your unplugged phone off. Yep, yep. for four hours, five hours, whatever it might be, you mm-hmm. know? And it really is just like you, you don't have the option, yeah. mm-hmm. and it changes everything, yes. Yeah. I'm going to remember that next time I fly. That's really a good idea because yes. I don't really unplug on a flight, but you know, yeah, you're right. They're absolutely right. Absolutely Some people just, don't, though. Some yeah. people yeah. actually and charge it right back to, up on the plane. Yes. That's yeah. what I do. I Some do. people do, like you know, this. it depends. I, for me, it depends on where I'm going. If I'm on a mm. two-hour flight or two-and-a-half-hour flight to, to Miami or something, I'm, right. I'm, 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 you know, on the ceiling the entire way. <laughs> I, I'm, I do whatever. I love to fly with Vince. At the end Note of the day, yourself. when Get when it's a Vince longer flight. wine. At a longer flight, like I just came back from L.A., for some reason, I was able to unplug, relax, because I sit there and think, you know what? This is a six-hour, you know, gate-to-gate kind of situation. You can be up in the air as much as you want, you know, out of your shoes, but it ain't going to help. So mm-hmm. just chill out, decompress. Watch get, a movie. Take the laptop out, yeah. watch a movie, do whatever. But on the shorter flights, it's already like, all right, th- this is kind of like in the way. It, it's it, commuting. I can walk there faster, right? It's commuting. <laughs> I can walk there faster. I, yeah. I get it. You know, on, on, on the heels of that, I have one other funny one. We have a couple of minutes left before the segment ends, but seamless in New York City, seamless web. Everybody, this is part of the decompression. That's de- my favorite pastime. This is the decompression <laughs> kind of thing. So what's the obsession with seamless web in New York City? And for those out there who don't know what it is, it's a web site here in New York City that pulls in lots of restaurant choices and diner choices where you can sit literally with your laptop in your home at night or in the afternoon, whatever. People in my office do it all day long and order dinner and or no lunch tipping, or like Uber. So Correct. it's the greatest feeling when they come to your door and you're like, you want to give them money and then you're like, wait, you're not supposed to give them money. Right, right. Okay. Right. And, yeah, right. and just to explain that to anybody who's listening, your credit card, everything is on file. Mm-hmm. So you just punch in whatever you want and you add the tip online and when they come to the door, you just literally grab your bag. Your doorman can bring it up. You know, however that works, and it's so easy. For me, if there's 478 restaurants who, who deliver to my front door. Um, and most of the time, like up to 11 p.m. And then after 11, I think it drops to about 2.50. But, I mean, that's insanity for most people I actually call, I call my husband seamless sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, he's the I, oh, he's, he's a cook. That's so I would take his food delivery I know, me anytime. Too. Yeah. Vince knows he wow. would love to live with us. I know because literally, <laughs> it's a restaurant every oh, night. I love wow. that. And we were talking yeah. about how do you stay so thin. Um, I know. Stress. <laughs> and it was. It was interesting. You just said downtime, and my downtime. I just want to circle back to to the fact that if you have love in your life. Yes. It is so yeah. much easier to find downtime, whether that's a dog or a boyfriend or a husband, yes. wife. It's it's just amazing how good I've gotten at at just being at peace. And when I'm off, I'm off. You know? So shout out to love. Yes. Yes. Shout out to love for sure. So we're gonna go to a break on that one. Yeah, you are listening to Good Morning like New it. York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away.
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. We're back. So I'm going to be honest. I've lived, I've only lived in doorman building in New York City, but I've never really felt the need. I mean, we've talked about doorman building. I know. (laughs) We've talked about this before, but but we're going to do a little different spin on this doorman conversation today. But at first, I enjoyed the convenience because, you know, there was a little bit of convenience to a doorman. And then I discovered I enjoyed the privacy that comes with not having a near stranger take stock of all of my comings and goings, and including those (coughs) who visit, and the packages and the whatever. Well, you know, when I have a very um, interesting, you know, uh, <laughs> let's say nosy one uh, at, at some point and is always asking questions. But in short, you know, so the question always is, and even with our clients, bring this back to real estate, you know, you know, what is the value of, a, of having a doorman? Is it necessary? Whatever. So I'm curious, though, about the influx of some of these new construction buildings and remodel apartments where they're now offering remote doorman systems, including the name brand Virtual Doorman. Are they essentially the same thing as having a real-life doorman? And what then becomes the value of something like a virtual doorman in place of a real doorman? And what about these buildings that have nothing? Yay. So I oh, I love this topic because like, I was doing cyber doorman before it, anyone knew what it was. One of my developments back in the day on 21st Street. And people just couldn't wrap their head around it. It was so interesting. And for me to actually educate them was was, was quite a trip. Yeah. So it, it, what I feel about it is I am, I am 100% for it. More than doorman, more than no doorman. It is the perfect compromise. What people don't know um, <coughs> in New York City, a doorman shift for each doorman is 75000 You have mm. four doormen. For a building, yep. let's say a, a boutique medium to large size building, yep. that's $300,000 for a building to carry. On an <clears throat> annual basis. On which an annual each basis. Each shareholder has wow. to split. So if you have a larger building, it's a lower, so it's like 80 bucks a month extra for a shareholder, not a big deal. But if you have a smaller building, that's a lot of money extra. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. So a cyber doorman is half the cost. Mm-hmm. And what you're getting is really privacy, anonymity. Um, you get the package room. Um, some have these fancy cards where you can't mm-hmm. copy keys. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a 24-hour surveillance. So you really get everything. And to be honest with you, the doorman that I've 
met in my 15-year career, I'm not so impressed about. I just, I'm not over the moon about right. most of and them. I, and I think that most parents, especially if their children are moving to the city, yeah. you know, uh, really are concerned about their children's safety, right? Like, mm-hmm. So one of the things that I think that you really gain in terms of having a physical, well, two things, right? One is perceived luxury and the second is perceived um, uh, uh, safety, and and I you know what I'll, the second one I won't even say perceived I think that there is a safety factor that is is absolutely there. However, I've lived in this city for so long now, and I've lived in both <clears throat> doorman and non doorman buildings. And knock on wood, and hopefully I'm just you know I mean I hopefully I hope it's not just luck, but I've. Really, you know, I mean, most of us come home from time to time at 4 or 5 in the morning, 2, 3 a.m., easy, right? I've never felt threatened. I mean, there's always some crazy person on the street. I have on the subway. On the subway. Not in my home. Right. On the subway, that's, yeah. But I've never on my block, outside my apartment, and I've lived in many different neighborhoods over the course of being here for almost 15 years. Um, You know, I really haven't felt like, like, Having a doorman would have changed my life, mm-hmm. you know? Oh. And I love the privacy of not having one, to be honest. I mm-hmm. am such a private person. <clears throat> I don't like somebody knowing when I'm coming, when I'm going, what's happening, you yeah. know? And I recognize as a broker, doormen know everything that happens mm-hmm. in a building. I get a lot of my leads through doormen. So I love doormen because my favorite doormen are the ones that doormen. gossip, the ones that tell the brokers everything. Oh did my did gosh. you know that this one got arrested? Did you know this one? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's like, like who has yeah. prostitutes over in their apartment? I would never <laughs> want my doorman telling everyone yeah. my business. This is yes. why I've been waiting for years for a doorman, I don't care who it is, uh-huh. to write a book and uh-huh. oh my for gosh. it to be a bestseller because oh. wow. It, it's amazing. On Curbed, there's an article about, I mean, a, a series of articles. I don't think they do it anymore, but they mm-hmm. did something about Ask the Doorman or a Doorman Speaks. And it's this kind of stuff. And I think this guy's got to write a book. Mm-hmm. But if you look on curb.com, they yes, have. Yes, mm-hmm. that's amazing. And it is it mm-hmm. wild, the stuff that happens. Wild. Especially, you know, mm-hmm. some, you know, woman leaving the apartment as the wife is coming home. I mean, like, I've heard such crazy <laughs> stories. Yes. I have a question Only for all in of us, New York City. Yes. Yes. Only in New York Regarding City. Regarding these virtual doormans, though, I sell in a lot of buildings that do not have doormen. And the first question is, does the super take packages? Yes, absolutely. So how, how is that different than the idea of a virtual doorman? If you actually have someone living in the building who's physically taking the package as opposed to having a card key or something. Right, so a remote company mm-hmm. off-site, mm-hmm. usually in Idaho or somewhere mm-hmm. really, really far, um, <laughs> they actually buzz mm-hmm. in the UPS or FedEx guy or mm-hmm. delivery it's caught on camera. That mm-hmm. person is logged in, time mm-hmm. and video, and then they open the package room, mm-hmm. and then it locks behind them, and it's all, I mean, it's literally like having a doorman. Yep. It's unbelievable. So, <clears throat> the camera's always there, so when yep. a resident mm-hmm. comes to collect their package or their dry cleaning or whatever it is, um, the camera will also catch them so they won't take someone else's. Of course. And I'm right. saying this because right, this right. is what people outside yep. will be asking. I've shown in those Absolutely. buildings, and they're, they're pretty yep. interesting. Actually, right. just last weekend up mm-hmm. in Harlem, a building, and I thought, oh, yep. how is this working or whatever? It really was seamless. I mean, right. it, it worked pretty mm-hmm. well. All right, moving on. Like any other close relationship, the relationship between seller and broker needs to be founded on trust, <clears throat> not only because you're promising 6% of your sale price, but also because they should be watching out for your best interest. 
Making sure your broker is ethical and law-abiding is important, but what? But you want to make sure they don't divulge too much information to a buyer in a way that compromises you or the sale. It's important to have a broker who knows the market and who um, knows their obligations, but at the end of the day, it matters how much he or she cares as well as how much they know. So since transparency is paramount, what do you need as a seller to tell your broker, you know, as you're preparing to put this listing up on the market? Honestly, a a good intuition. Um, I feel like if people would just take the time to say, you know, I'm not going to necessarily hire my best friend's cousin or whatever Mm -hmm. to to sell my place um, or the biggest name broker who's on TV or whatever, but really think about, you know, what are the tangible drivers that sells my place and then have a gut instinct about how much this broker is willing to look out for your best interest, look out for creative ways of selling your specific unit. Um, how are they and how is this broker's demeanor when they come to pitch you? Are they, How likable are they? What, an ex, what kind of experience did they create for you? Because that will be what shows up mm-hmm. during the showings. And so really, I feel like, the, you know, I, I, I don't know what percentage you guys would attest to this, but I would love to know what we on the panel think. Like, what percentage of brokers do we feel really genuinely want to do the best job for the owner versus just get it done, get it sold because that's in their own best interest, you know? And I feel like there's a big divide, you mm-hmm. know? And, and it's not that tough to see if you know what to look for. Mm-hmm. Well, as Rachel indicated earlier, you know, on another topic, sometimes the, the biggest hurdle to get over in our day is other brokers. And so to mm-hmm. your point, Parul, I agree with that because I was just, you know, counseling one of my agents yesterday in the office with just that, you know, our, our duty or our responsibility first and foremost is to the seller. It's not about us. It's mm-hmm. not about just getting the job done so you put a commission in your pocket because when <clears throat> you follow the rules and when you do the right job, and that is servicing your seller, you're going to get referred and you're going to get more business mm-hmm. because you've done a job mm-hmm. better than maybe the next person. Yeah, right. But- you- I was just going to say, in addition, when we meet with our potential sellers for the first time and we're explaining our listing agreement, I don't, I'm sure you guys do this because you're really great brokers, but one of the things I do is explain the new agency disclosure form that they have to sign. Yeah. Worst topic ever. It is, but I have (laughs) to tell you, this opens, well, I finally got my script down. I got my pattern. It works. Me too. So this is explaining to the seller that you represent them hell or high Mm -hmm. water. Yeah. Whatever comes. Yep. And if someone who is either from my firm or from or who doesn't have an agent comes to me to want me to represent them as well, I explain about dual agency and I say, you as the seller have a choice for me to possibly find another broker to represent them or I could represent both. But because... See, I never even understood this law when it came into existence because if I'm representing you, it's nobody's business where you're going or what your story is or anything regarding the apartment. Just you're moving out of town or you're upsizing or downsizing and that's the end of it. And they all have gotten it Mm -hmm. since I explain it that way, especially since we have this agency disclosure that we have to sign. I say I put it in your hands, which it is in the seller's hands. But, Deborah, I have to tell you, and Mm -hmm. this is another thing I I counsel my agents on a regular basis, I'd be willing to bet that probably 90%, -hmm. and I'm going to use 90% Mm -hmm. of brokers or agents out there do not even have that conversation with their sellers when they first meet. And I think at the end of the day, they shove Mm -hmm. a form in front of them to sign Mm -hmm. when it gets close to a contract signing Mm -hmm. or whatever. 
you know, there are so many things that can and do go wrong in this business. But again, if you follow the rules, you know, it will work. So on the heels of that, and we've talked about this topic before, but someone asked me recently to repeat it because talking to sellers, what, what's the next conversation? Pricing, right? So everybody out there is very interested in any time that we here on the panel talk about pricing. So pricing, residential real estate has always been part art and part science, but amid uncertainty over the state of the market, agents are coming up with accurate comps coming up with acrocomps is get becoming increasingly more difficult and in some cases almost not existent. Yeah. How mm-hmm. how do we do this, you know, effectively or actually why are comps becoming even more difficult today than they ever used to be? Yeah, and so the the problem is that things that are in contract, we don't have the ability to see what they closed at until months close, from now. Right. So the market is shifting so quickly that anything that's happened in the last 3 months is not real-time info. Yep. Mhm. And I think what's important as a good broker is to explain two different strategies to your seller. You can price it 5% under market, which is always my favorite strategy. I love strategy. that. Love it. Um, it's Me not too. for every seller because most sellers feel you have to start high. It's just how people are born into this world. Start and high, also get matters. a low offer, go up, mm-hmm. go down. Mm-hmm. And also matters on location and price point, of course, too. Of yes. course. Not everything, Absolutely. but for the right apartment, this is the best strategy Absolutely. ever. Yes. And I've done it most of my career. You're mm-hmm. not going to underprice it in this market because no. you will no. know in a week exactly. or two. If you get multiple offers, if you get one offer in a week or two, you'll know that offer is where it should be at. So, mm-hmm. you know, outline just going over those two strategies, I feel like you'll know right away when a seller goes, oh, no, no, I don't feel comfortable with that. Or they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm into it. smart. So they know right away. And that's how you build the rapport. And mm-hmm. I think most brokers come in and they go, they just throw out a high number because they want the listing. And they're like, and that's just oh, yeah, it. that no. happened recently with it's me. And they wanted, oh, he said, oh, another broker said 3-7. And I said, absolutely not. I said 3-2, 3-2. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And that's a big difference. Right. It's and, a and huge you know, difference. And it's amazing. I see the smartest people. I mean, I have a client who is a real estate investor in the city. Like he continually invests in, in <clears> both <throat> markets that are already really strong and also ones that are like on an upward incline. And it is insane to me that even he, when he's looking to buy something, wants Mm. me to drive the price down and, you know, justifies the numbers low. And then when he's looking to sell his place, he's justifying the skyest high Mm. price. And I'm looking at him going, you do this every day just the way I do. But it's worked for him. Yeah, it does. It does. But what is insane though is that I mean, well, he's not, he's actually a pretty good one in the sense that he looks at me and he laughs and he goes, yes, I know, I know, you know? <laughs> they get but it eventually. They do, yeah. but yet yeah. the objectivity mm-hmm. for even the most sane people when it's their money, it's just amazing to watch human psychology around well, money, I, I, you right. know? You, yeah, you started with he's an intelligent man and I yes. and I don't take that away from him. But it's but not we, correlated. But we all know that it has <laughs> not, not much to do with intelligence because no, I like to think that most people I talk to have yeah. some kind of brains up there. Right. Yes. But when you're talking prices of apartments, yeah. forget about and it. That's yes. why I love taking buyers to new developments because mm-hmm. yes. I specifically, when I'm with my clients, and my clients are very loyal. When mm-hmm. I work buyers, yes, they're loyal. I'm not the, the broker that runs around with mm-hmm. anyone. No way. And I say to them beforehand, I said, new development, typically there's no negotiability. Absolutely. Absolutely. Only thing you can negotiate typically is the closing costs. And I purposely at appointments for each sales office and each listing agent, I say to them, is there any negotiability? Yes. <laughs> and then they say, oh, absolutely not. Not and so the bro, you know my client hears it from them they hear it yeah. from me and then when we have to put in an offer they 
automatically know let's not lowball mm-hmm. right, right. and waste everybody's time. Yeah. Yep. All right, we're going to break. I'm <laughs> sitting here with Perul Brombat from Compass, Rachel Altschuler from Douglas Elliman, and Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential. We are coming right back. Don't go away. But even that is changing. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back for our last segment, and we're here with, um, as I said, Deborah, Rachel, and Perul. Unfortunately, our featured guest today couldn't make it, but we will reschedule him for a later time. Traffic these days in New York City is really, really crazy. (laughs) Anyway, if you're in the market for a Manhattan townhouse, you have a pretty small pool from which to choose. In fact, according to Jonathan Miller, uh, who tracks all of this stuff, and certainly townhouse sales over the last 10 years, the listing inventory right now is just 474 Houses a decade ago it was slightly higher at 493. And over the last 10 years, only 2.5% of residential sales in Manhattan were townhouses. As we have always talked about on the show, they're not for everybody. That's partly because it's very rare for new townhomes to hit the market. The most common pattern is that these are getting gut renovated, so they're effectively new, except of course for the bones. And you know, you can trans, you know, for these things to, I mean, trans, um, trans. Or to these, what, I, I, I can't think of the word. It is now Star, Star Trek. <laughs> you can create anything you want on these things. Anyway, but one report number uh, was found most surprising was the fact that the median price of a townhouse in Upper Manhattan, Uptown Manhattan, was one point nine two five million dollars, and that sounds downright reasonable. I mean, yeah. we're talking for a whole townhouse. Yep. Uh, Though the median price of townhouses across Manhattan broke records in 2016 uh, and now clocks in at 5.25 million, prices vary greatly by neighborhood. So, you know, again, what is really so special about townhouse living, about townhouse buildings, when you compare them to, you know, your run-of-the-mill apartment, whether it be co-op or condo? As we said before, townhouses aren't necessarily aren't necessarily for everybody. They're but the what hardest a, to price because well, it's yeah. funny you said yeah. 1.9 and I'm thinking well, did this need a complete gut? I mean is it right. I was negotiating a, a building in Park Slope and it was I mean the foundation was crumbling mm-hmm. <laughs> and they mm-hmm. were asking three and a half and we were like no it needs a whole new building 
thinking. Yes, and the seller yeah. was thinking, oh, no, it's Park Slope. I want, right, right. I want close to it's, $4 million. Yeah. So the, it's so skewed in that world. It's very right. hard to price, much harder than any co-op or condo. Yep. And Absolutely. again, based on location, very, very important. Mm-hmm. Very. Based on the block. It's mm-hmm. literally block by block. Block mm-hmm. by block. Tree-lined versus are you across the street from a school or any yep. other mm-hmm. craziness? Mm-hmm. And, you know... I think that townhouses are becoming more and more popular because people are getting sick and tired of the process to purchase and dealing with other people. You mm-hmm. know, there's you live in a building, it's a big community, and you don't know what you're walking into when you buy a property. You know, yeah, we've talked about the yeah. pros and cons of mm-hmm. townhouse versus condos. Um, but on the right street, on the right block, if it's quiet, if the buildings around you are low, then you get a good amount of light. You know, mm-hmm. they might be a narrower townhouse, but if you design it well, it really does feel a lot bigger, a lot broader if the ceiling heights are high, you know. So there's all of these different things and the condition on a townhouse and understanding how to price those different things <clears throat> in terms of even how much you know, how much basement space there is, what the water levels are below the building. That's how does a big that deal. There, there's so much that goes and into two it. two different numbers. Are you dealing yes. with an end user or an investor? Exactly. Yes. Two different two numbers. Different Absolutely. Numbers. Absolutely. Well, and then we also have different widths of these houses, too. Exactly. I just recently showed one that was 12 feet wide. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. See, I, my partner. I've never heard of that. My partner, yeah, Shane, had the exact same reaction. Wow. He's like, why are you even? Even 17 feels really w- narrow. Really was it a carriage yes. house or something? No, it was a townhouse, and yeah. it was uptown. And I have to tell you something. My partner was like That's saying small. to me, are you sure you want to show? It's a very good client of ours. And I said, you know what? Yes, I do, because it, it's in the price point. Um, it was just a little getting. over two. It, it, it's, it read in the listing that it was completely renovated. So we show up this one Saturday, and we see this house. And I have to tell you something, and I, I've sold townhouses before, and I've been in and out of very many of them. Mm-hmm. This house is spectacular. Really? Wow. This house was completely restored and renovated magnificently. I will go on and on till the day I leave this business. And you didn't feel like you were in a telephone booth? Harul, I got to tell you something. When you were in, (laughs) when you were in this house on any floor, and it was five, five Uh floors, you didn't even, I I didn't even remember that it was 12 feet wide until I left. And we were talking on the street with my, wow. What was the ceiling? The ceiling height was great. The light was great. Ceiling height was great. And to Perul's point, you know, because you're uptown, the inventory up there is much lower. The light was also magnificent. Amazing. South and north. And then on the top floor, which was the master suite, was this huge skylight in the hallway that just beamed light all over the floor. See, that's an end user though. A developer is Correct. not going to go for 12 foot wide. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, no, never. Never. You couldn't, a 17 or eight. And right. I've only, the smallest right. I've ever seen was 17 and right. a couple of 18, right. a couple yes. of 19. Yes. Then, of course, I sold a 22 footer last year, the year before. Yeah, it's amazing. I've seen even 25 feet ones yeah. and I'm like, mm. yeah. and then you see something spectacular, like 30 something, 30, 33, 34. That's amazing. This guy Those had a very smart architect. Get yes. the name and hold on to it. Yes. Yeah. You know, the I got to tell you something. This, yeah. house, I hope they, we get it, but this house is just magnificent. I would wow. love Living it in a, in a minute. Wow. Yeah. Yes, that's wow. wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah. The one we always hesitate on. We will see. Yes. So the average price for um, you know, per uh 
townhouse on the east side is 7.6 million. On the west side, 6.4 million. Downtown uh, in the village area, 7.5. And uptown where we're talking about, average price 1.925. So you can see that the price difference, as Parul mm-hmm. said, neighborhood, street, condition, condition, Rachel. on and on and on. So at the <laughs> end of the day, you know, everything, everything <laughs> just like an apartment comes into play. Yeah. So you've got to be, um, you got to be on top of everything. So um, it's important to know we did that one already. Many banks, here, here, here's what I was a little concerned about. Weary of a slowdown in high-end apartment sales and potential um, supply glut, lenders are beginning to retreat from Manhattan's luxury condominium market. Lenders, that is. Many yep. banks are either cutting down the luxury condo construction lending or stepping away from the market altogether, according to brokers and lenders interviewed by The Real Deal just recently. So developers, however, remain bullish that their product will sell and are trying new avenues to obtain financing. Will they be successful? And why are the banks pulling away? I mean, the the luxury market is still luxury because it's slowed down a little bit. You know, our, our Who, business who's, who's is so real problem cyclical. Is that? It's so interesting to me. I feel like, you know, insanity, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And I feel that you know, it's it just blows my mind to to this day that even after the 2008 downturn, what you see is very cyclical, sort of almost herd mentality thinking across the board, whether it's developers, whether it's lenders, whether it's brokers, right? Instead of recognizing the pockets of opportunity, which I think Deborah and I both have talked quite a bit about, it's not like either all buildings will do well or all buildings will fail. If it's the right location, if it's the right product for the location, if it's the right design aesthetic, or if you're attracting the right buyers, the building will succeed even at a high price per square foot. I absolutely agree. If you don't have the right product, the right location, the right whatever, then a lender and a buyer should really rethink that and certainly the developer himself as well. So I just feel that there is, it's a tale of many, many cities, if you will, within one. And it's recognizing which storyline to follow, you know? And so, yes, lenders are sort of blanketly not, is that a word, blanketly? But Mm -hmm. in a blanketed way, um, sort of pulling back or, or really being bullish or whatnot. But I really think that there's some really great buildings to finance. I think there's Absolutely. some great projects to finance. And I also think that people need to think actively and recognize what is and what's not. You know, I, I agree with that. But I also think, and I think we would all agree that um, in this business of real estate in New York City, especially in New York City, I think people who run around in this industry are all fickle. And so the news says luxury is up. <sighs> The world is up. The, the The news says luxury is down. Everybody gets a little skittish. Prices are up. Prices the are down. Smartest it's like a roller coaster. Yeah. And whatnot. Look at national numbers. Yep, exactly. For very localized markets right. and products, it just will never cease to amaze me. It's not only that, but when the market started getting wonky in two thousand six, and everybody was saying, "What's going on? What's going on?" I started to think, you know what? The real estate market is driven. By gossip. Yes. And up gonna, market or down market, it's it's driven by gossip. 100%. Let, yes, let, let's yeah. hold that yeah. thought until yeah. next week because yep. gossip is a great topic. We are out of time. Right. I'm getting the high sign. Aww. Thanks to Parul, Rachel, and Deborah for stepping in today. That Thank is Good Morning thanks. New York for today. I'm not ready thanks to go. for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 
Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. We'll be right back.